Let's pray. Father, right now I pray that we would uh, have our hearts focused on you. We would honor and reverence uh, your word. We know that you're with us now, and I pray that you would teach us and speak to us. We hunger for your word to our hearts. Lord, we're living in uh, perilous times, the last days we believe, but I thank you that we have peace in Christ. And I I pray that this morning's lesson would be instructive to our hearts as we sojourn on in our faith. So we give you glory, honor, and praise, our Creator and our Redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. You've heard of we three kings? <laughs> well, that's, that's the three kings, the, the, the magi, but that's not what I'm talking about today. However, I am going to talk about three kings today. I, I want to overview Second Chronicles and do it by taking three of the most outstanding kings that are mentioned there. In case you don't know it, we have been on a journey through the Bible from Genesis all the way to where we are. We are simply taking the highlights of a book to make you interested to read your entire Bible if you've not ever done so. And um, we've gone from all all of the various books of the Bible uh, all the way up to 2 Chronicles. As we come to this portion now, remember, we've learned that after King David had his son Solomon, and after Solomon and and the idolatry that took in from a thousand wives, the kingdom divided to the north and the south. Ten tribes to the north, two tribes to the south. Judah, known as Judah, Judah and Benjamin. And as I've said to you repetitively, there were never any good kings in the ten tribes to the north. After Jeroboam, they set up idols, and they never, did, they never actually worshipped the true and living God. The kings were, um, were compromised. However, in the south, in Judah, there were several good kings. And because of this, the north went into captivity first to Assyria, and the southern area of Judah lasted an additional 135 years before finally it too went into idolatry and it too went into captivity to Babylon. And so the Kings records the, the history of the descendants of Jacob, Israel, the 12 tribes, what happened to them. And it's a true and accurate history. And it is from Jesus. Remember, he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's descended from Judah. And so the, 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 the promise that God gave that David would have a son to sit on the throne forever. So, very simply, First and Second Chronicles were one book at one time. And they cover only the books of the, the, the kings of the south. Their prim, prim, primary emphasis of First and Second Chronicles is a deeper look at the kings of Judah in the south. Beginning with David and Solomon and now um, moving on to Second Chronicles and the other kings. And um, it's interesting to me that it's pretty obvious, isn't it, that a king that does badly, does evil, pays for it. And a king that does good is a wiser king. And it makes me want to be wise, too. And so the, there are lessons to be learned from what the kings did that were, were, were wise. So specifically... Um, on your bulletin, you're going to see that there's three things. I'll give you a preview of what you're going to hear today. It's right here. Very simple. The importance of praise. We're going to find out that King Jehoshaphat knew what it was to praise God. And then we're going to have the importance of prayer. 
King Hezekiah knew the importance of prayer and the importance of the word. King Josiah responded to the word. And I've given you actually a key verse there. Uh, and so you can go home and look up the key verse, or you can look at it with me this morning, and you'll see the importance of it. So let's start off with the Second Chronicles. Um, in Second Chronicles chapter 17, it says, Jehoshaphat, his son, succeeded him as king and strengthened himself against Israel. Some of the prominent accomplishments in Jehoshaphat's life, he, by the way, reigned for 25 years. He reigned from 874 to 850 B.C., Jehoshaphat. He restored public instruction of the word of God. And he established courts of justice. Jehoshaphat was a good king. Probably his biggest weakness if you study the scriptures carefully, is that he made alliances with unsaved kings. Jehoshaphat would, would agree to do things with the kings of the north in Israel that were, that were not walking after the Lord. It can be a dangerous thing to make alliances with unbelievers. But Jehoshaphat, by overall, we see, was a good king. He had the word of God taught, and the fear of the Lord fell on the kingdoms, verse 10. The fear of the Lord fell on the kingdoms of the land surrounding Judah. And chapter 18 is kind of an interruption to that. It's about Micaiah testifying against Ahab, and you can read about that. Very interesting scene where uh, Ahab goes out to battle and he disguises himself. But Jehoshaphat goes out in royal robes, and Jehoshaphat is protected by the Lord from the enemy. Somehow he cries out and God protects him. But Ahab is hit by accident by an arrow and and. Uh, actually bleeds to death, and they wash out his chariots and so forth after he dies. Wicked King Ahab. So Jehoshaphat, as I said, was a, was a wise king. Now move over to chapter 20, and let's read the story that is in chapter 20. Um, after this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, with some of the Munites, came to make war on Jehoshaphat. And so he's surrounded, and he begins to pray this prayer. I'm going to pick it up in verse 5. Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard, and he said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand. No one can withstand you. O our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of the land before your people Israel and give it to forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? I like that. And he just issues his prayer. And I'm going to skip it down to verse 12. Please be with me. Second Chronicles 20, verse 12. All the men of Judah with their wives stood there. First of all, O God, we, will you not judge them? We have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Three different nations were surrounding Judah. Three different nations were attacking. And very simply, Jehoshaphat prayed. He said, you called Abraham your friend. And he remembers, you know, he's in trouble. What do you do when you're in trouble? You pray. And he's praying, oh, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Have you ever been in a situation where I don't know what I'm supposed to do here? But I pray to you. I mean, that's just, you know, he did more than praise. He prayed. Jehoshaphat, Lord, I, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. What a good thing to say. I, I could honestly say with regard to CIF, I don't know what God's doing. 
but my eyes are on you. There's been, in the three and a half years I've been here, there's been some changes and shifts. And, um, you know, I, I just, I'm listening to the Lord. Lord, what do you want me to do? And I says, my eyes are on you. You know, often, most of the time, God doesn't tell us what he's going to do. We just have to keep our eyes on him. And as he prayed this prayer, all the men, verse 13, of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood there before the Lord. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jael, the son of uh, Mataniah, a Levite, descendant of Asaph. And he stood in the assembly and he said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all of you who live in Judah and Jerusalem. He said, This is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They'll be climbing up by the pass of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the gorge, the desert of Jerul. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow. And the Lord will be with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed with his face to the ground. And all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. Then some Levites from the Kohathite and Korahite stood up. And they praised God in a very loud voice. The God of Israel. And early in the morning they left for the desert of Tekoa. And they set out and Jehoshaphat stood and said, listen to me, Judah. People of Jerusalem, have faith in the Lord your God. You will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. And after consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. Pretty simple song. And as they began to sing the praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Sur who were invading Judah. And they were defeated. The men of Ammon and Moab rose up against the men of Mount Sur to destroy and annihilate them. And after they finished slaughtering the men of Sur, they helped destroy one another. And it goes on to say they took so much plunder down in uh, the bottom of the page, they took so much plunder that it took three days to collect all the plunder. Verse 25. Verse 27, they returned joyfully to Jerusalem because he'd given, he, given them cause to rejoice over their enemies. And they entered Jerusalem with harps and lutes and trumpets, and the fear of the Lord came upon the kingdoms of the countries around them. All right. Surrounded in battle. We don't know what to do, Lord, but our eyes are on you. And somebody gets up and gives a prophecy. This guy named Jehaziel. That's how I pronounce it. He stands up and he says, hey, it's going to be all right. Just take up your position. The Lord is going to fight this battle for you. You know, the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians, despise not prophesying. Try all things and hold fast to that which is good. I think we, we don't realize how important the gift of prophecy is. In 1 Corinthians 14, it says, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. Now, this was a very dramatic prophecy. It doesn't happen very often, but it can happen. 
Prophecies can be very dramatic and very powerful and very specific. Prophecy is simply a matter of speaking what's on the mind of God. Somebody says, I believe God's going to do this. This is what I, I believe. And, and, you, and you try that. You test it. You, you know, it, and we're not, if, fortunately, we don't stone anybody in this current age. Okay, so if, if, it, if it's wrong. And so how, how do I know, Pastor, whether I should prophesy or not? Well, is it consistent with Scripture? Because prophecy will never contradict Scripture. And, if, and then if the Spirit gives you faith to speak it, speak it. We should be prophes- We need to prophesy one to another, encourage each other, build each other up. We think prophecy is so weird, like, oh, thus saith the Lord. No, it's not some weird thing. I don't, my voice doesn't have to change. I'm, you are who you say who you are. You don't have to get louder. You don't have to get dramatic. You can just, you can, it can be in very even tone. Brother, I believe that this is what the Lord, in our church, I believe there's supposed to be an element of prophecy in all preaching. I was rereading a book that Marge, Marge pants out a lot of literature, if you notice that, about Mike McIntosh. And I know Mike McIntosh down in San Diego, the author of this book. And one thing I love about Mike's preaching is there's always an element of prophecy in it. He's teaching the word, but they're saying something that spits right to us in the room, right here, right now, it's alive. God, church, wants us in this room to hear this right now. To me, it meant, preaching has to have that element of prophecy that element of, this is for us. This isn't just history. This is more than just a story. It is a story, but this is the living word of God. And it's speaking to us right now. And, and let it speak to you. Let it speak to you. Many of you, just like me, are puzzled. What is God doing? I'm going through this. Lord, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. Maybe you have a problem, a family problem, a marriage problem. A child problem, a financial problem. Maybe we have a church problem. <laughs> what problems in the church? Unheard of. You know, whatever it is, it's like, Lord, we don't know what to do. You know, and who's our real enemy, by the way? We wrestle not against flesh and blood. We wrestle against powers and principalities. We know who the evil one is. We're not unaware of his schemes, gossip, divisiveness, and so forth unforgiveness, all the things that Satan wants to to make us buy into. But we are to put on the full armor of God. You know that armor. I'm not going to teach that now. Ephesians 6, put it all on. And be wise as a serpent, be innocent as a dove. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And so, guys, we we are in Christ. And, and, And so, Lord, we don't know what to do. Our eyes are on you. And then a prophecy comes. Just stand your ground. The Lord's going to fight this battle for you. Oh, hallelujah. You know what? If the Lord's going to fight it, we're going to win. When you let the Lord fight the battle, you will win. You may not see it even this side of heaven. I don't know. But always God is working out all things for the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. You're not defeated in that circumstance you're in. I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. And so... Jehoshaphat, being a wise king, says, listen to the Lord, trust the Lord, and trust his prophets. The Lord, and what the prophet has said, let's believe it. Let's believe it. And he lets us start singing. And so they set up the musicians, and they start singing. And what are the people singing? This is one of the number one choruses in the Old Testament. Basically, give thanks to the Lord, his love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord, his love endures forever. Pick your own tune. It's a, good, it's a good thing. And 
Lord, your love is eternal. Thank you, thank you for loving us. I used to go to Orchard Church. Pastor Jim Culp would always start off with, thanks for loving us, Lord. Whenever I hear Jim, he'd say, thanks for loving us, Lord. And this is a good way to start church. <laughs> and as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes. And they began to slaughter each other. Do you know that, that, that as you sing and as you praise, there's power in that? This week, I had this, un- younger, younger people don't, don't even hardly know what this is, but I had my, we had our, what do they call it, your uh, annual Medicare physical well check. Don't you, do you know that once you get to be 65, you get a once a year free well check. It's in the Medicare system. I, you know, I never thought I'd learn about that stuff. And the doctor says, okay, Roger, you haven't had a colonoscopy in five years. You have to have a colonoscopy. How many, well, I won't ask for a show of hands. Um, I've had a few more of those than I want to because once upon a time I had polyps because of my celiac disease, and which, you know, I, I, anyways, he said, time for, so you know, they clean out your system, and I don't, won't give you any details, but, you know, you're purged, you're, and you're weak. You, you've, you've been not eaten for a day and a half, and you're just kind of exhausted, and the whole thing. And then you go into the doctor's office, and, you know, they say, okay, we need you to, you know, just get undressed. And then they, you wear this little piece of paper across you. Know, it's kind of embarrassing. And then they come and they're going to do the procedure. And I was waiting, and I'm all in the, in the, undressed waiting, you know, for the, the doctor to come in and do his thing. And I'm going, Lord, I need your peace right now. I need your peace. And the Lord said, what are you preaching this Sunday, Roger? I'm not kidding. What are you? And I said, well, about praise and prayer. And Okay. So I said, I just started praising the Lord. And then this peace just fell upon me. I felt the presence of the Lord was right there with me at that moment. What we need, what we need, church, is not just sermons that are here. We need the presence of Christ. We need to know the presence of Christ now. He's here. He's with us. I've known Jesus for 41 years, and I feel like I'm just trying to grow up. I mean, it's, you know, I've got so much to learn. Let me humble myself before you. But, I, you know, church, we need to praise God in the battle. That's right when you would think, I don't feel like praising, that's the time to praise. Right when you feel like, oh, man, this is too hard, I don't know, that's the time to praise. Lord, I love you. I praise you. And as you do that, you remember in the New Testament, Paul and Silas had been beaten up in, the, in Philippi. Remember, they drove that demon out of that, that one slave girl. So they, they, they arrested him, you know, and they said, whipped him, you know, threw him into the Philippian jail. And it's midnight, and they're in chains, and they're bleeding. And they're singing hymns to God and praising the Lord. And the Lord sends an earthquake, and the chains fall off. And they call for the lights. And the, the jailer's going to kill himself. My prisoners are going to say, don't kill yourself. We're all here. And the jailer says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. The praise in the middle of the trial was powerful. The chains broke off. The enemy was defeated. I'm not saying I always do it. But I'm saying we should do it. We don't wait till we have the victory. Oh, it all worked out. Let's sing now. We sing right 
when the battle is in front of us. I will trust in you. I will trust in you. Let the weak say I am strong. I trust you, Lord. I trust you. I praise you. I declare your goodness. Worship is so important. You know, there's this, this song, you're a good, good father, and I'm, it's, and I'm loved by you, that's who I am. <laughs> I don't know, personally, in my experience as a Christian, I've had like theme songs that have carried me through certain periods of my walk. I, I, I can tell you, when I was a pastor in Manila, I could tell you what song was number one on my heart back then in Manila. And I, when I was pastor in Big Bear, I could tell you what song was number one in my heart at that season. My number one right now is that song, Loved by You, I'm Loved by You, I'm Loved by You. You're a good father. And so, we need the presence of the Lord, and we need to praise. Amen? We need, and so notice he praises, and God sets ambushes. Remember that principle. That's the key verse that I had you in your key verse is verse 22. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes. That's a principle. Now, I'm not saying you should praise God just to get something. But I'm saying if you can remember to pray in the middle of the, sing and praise in the middle of battle, God will inhabit those praises and you will, see, you will see things change. The second king that I want to look at is very simple. It's Hezekiah, and it's in chapter 29 through 32. Hezekiah similarly was in a bad spot. Hezekiah was a, a king that reigned, I said Jehoshaphat reigned for 25 years. Uh, Hezekiah... Um, reigned, uh, my goodness, I don't have the years in front of me right here, but he reigned for an even longer period of time. And uh, Hezekiah had some good things in his favor. He got rid of the idols that his, uh, Ahaz had developed. In chapter 28, Ahaz, uh, his father, had many idols. But Hezekiah purified the temple and got rid of those uh, idols. He restored the worship of the temple, and Hezekiah trusted in the Lord. Now, the story in the background with Hezekiah is this. Assyria took the northern tribes, as I told you, in 721 B.C. Now go forward about 14 years, and they're invading Judah. And they're attacking while Hezekiah is king. And Hezekiah, during this time, actually paid some tribute at first to uh, King Sennacherib, the Assyrian king. He was trying to pacify him with some tribute. And he also knew that a siege was coming, and so Hezekiah had a tunnel dug in Jerusalem below the city. Now, when you go to Jerusalem, you can visit Hezekiah's tunnel. I have been in it, and I don't like it because I'm very claustrophobic. But if you're leading a tour, you don't act like you're not. And so we actually went into his, and it's a water tunnel. The tunnel is to bring water into the city from a spring outside so that even if they were surrounded, they would still be getting water. And Hezekiah's tunnel is there to this day. And it was a truant schoolboy who in the late 1800s found an inscription describing the, the, the building of the temple. And it's there to this day. Also, by the way, I found this interesting. This is in Halley's handbook. Sennacherib, this wicked king, also had an inscription about surrounding Judah and caging up uh, Hezekiah like a bird, but he never mentions conquering him. And that inscription and that particular thing is in the Oriental Museum in Chicago to this day. 
your Bible is verified by archaeological stuff. Okay? So in other words, this is a true story. We got inscriptions from Hezekiah. We got inscriptions from Sennacherib, the invading king. I just thought, thought it was interesting. But what does Hezekiah do? He's a good king as he's surrounded. Rather than read it here, I'm going to ask you to read it with me from the prophet Isaiah, because Isaiah writes about it also. It's written in Kings, in Chronicles, and in Isaiah. So would you turn with me to Isaiah 37? Isaiah chapter 37. Because I just like the way it's worded here. I like the way Isaiah puts it. <clears throat> okay, Isaiah 37, beginning in verse 14. Hezekiah received, he's surrounded, by the way. First, he's come in and he's getting an oral thing, and now he writes this, this, this letter. Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers, and he read it. And then he went up to the temple of the Lord and he spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, O Lord Almighty, God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, O God, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Listen to all the words Sennacherib has sent to insult the living God. It is true, O Lord, that the Assyrian... Kings have laid waste to all these peoples and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them, for they were not gods, but only wood and stone, fashioned by human hands. Now, O Lord our God, deliver us from his hand, so that all kingdoms on earth will know that you alone are God. And then look at verse 35. God answers, and God says, I will defend this city, and save it for the sake of David, my servant. And then the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 men in the Assyrian camp. And I, I also want you to look at verse 21. I'm sorry to be jumping all over. Isaiah 37, 21. Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent a message to Hezekiah. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Because you have prayed to me. And then he gives us the rest of the chapter. This is what I'm going to do. Now, can I summarize that in my own words? Okay. Hezekiah <clears throat> is surrounded by the Assyrian army. The Assyrian army is already conquered to the north. It's holding them siege. It's, it's surrounding them. They've tried giving tribute. Now they're surrounded. They're, and now they come right in with a messenger who actually speaks to them in Hebrew and says, no God has ever been able to save them. You're not going to be saved. You guys are going to be drinking your own urine and eating your own filth. We're going to put a siege to you. You're going to starve to death. You think your God can save you? Surrender to us. And they say, hey, please don't speak in Hebrew to the people. You know, they, but they keep, keep doing it anyway. Completely insult. And, and then you read that Hezekiah told the people, be quiet, don't answer back. And the people listened to their king. They didn't, they didn't say anything. Along with this, there was a letter, a letter that was sent to Hezekiah saying, no God can save you. The same letter that had been read to the people. And Hezekiah, what does he do? He and Isaiah are praying. That's a nice prayer partner, isn't it? Isaiah the prophet. I wouldn't mind hanging out with that. Who are you fellowship with today? I'm Isaiah. Isaiah and I. That's why they were hanging out together, you know? And they take this letter, and Hezekiah takes this letter, and he spreads it out before the Lord. Lord, look. They've insulted you. They've said, 
you, that you, Yahweh, are just like one of those gods of stick over there. Oh, that, they think that you can't deliver us. Lord, see how they've insulted you? I love, he spread it out before the Lord. And then the prophet Isaiah says, this is what the Lord says, because you prayed. Because you prayed. I love that phrase. I'm going to answer. And, I, he, and God wipes out one angel, wipes out 185,000 Assyrians. Remember Jesus when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane? He said, don't you know that I can call 12 legions of angels right now? He said, but not my will, but your will be done. One angel, one angel, 185,000 soldiers. And then you read elsewhere that the sons of Sennacherib assassinated him as he was in his pagan temple. His own sons killed him. So if I can simplify it, because I'm like a kindergartner at this point in my life, um, if I have a problem, if I've got an issue, the best thing I can do is spread it out before the Lord and pray for it. And then God says, Roger, you laid it out before me, you prayed, watch me work. I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to work. Now, he might answer the way I think he's going to answer, but he's going to hear it. Our God is such a God of help to us. This is why I encourage you when you have your daily morning devotions, right? You do have your daily morning Bible reading, right? Okay. And, you know, coffee or whatever it is. Get up with the Lord and then keep an open notebook. You know, I actually hit a special at Staples one day on these notebooks right here. They had them for a quarter each. So I bought a lifetime supply. I'll show you. It's in my closet at home. And I just, you know, I, I love to just keep, take a pen, a notebook, okay, good morning, Lord, and then put the date up there, and, and what am I, what am I, where's my bookmark today? And in the process of having a piece of paper in front of you, you might want to write down something that's a problem. Lord, I write, I write, I actually write words. You don't have to do this, but I do. I go, marriage. Now, my marriage is not a problem, but I'm praying for it. Family, marriage, health, finances, <laughs> USA. I pray for my president and all that's happened this week in the nation. I hope you've been praying. Chico, this coming election. I pray for whatever God puts in my heart to pray for. And somewhere in that list is always C-I-F. We live in a world of acronyms, right? ABC became C-I-F, but we still have A-C-F and C-C-C-F. And, you know, on and on and on it goes, right? We, we speak that way. It's the language that we speak. But... Lay the letter out before the Lord, guys. Lord, here it is. I'm laying it out before you. You, you know, however you do it. You don't have to write it down. I just, I'm just, maybe just get on your knees and say, God, I give it to you. But because you prayed. Pretty simple, isn't it? So what do we see in Jehoshaphat? He listened to the prophets and he began to praise God in the, right when the enemy was attacking. So we need to be a people of praise. What do we see in Hezekiah? We see a man who prayed and spread out for the Lord. Those are good traits. And the final one that I want to look at this morning uh, is a third king by the name of Josiah. If you turn to 2 Chronicles 34, chapter 34 of 2 Chronicles. The interesting thing about Josiah 
is that he followed, if you look in your chapter 33, you see a king by the name of Manasseh. You see that? Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah, it's fascinating. Um, <laughs> you study your Bible, Hezekiah, was a, he did have some flaws. He had an illness and he asked God to add life and God gave him 15 more years to live. It's kind of almost unfortunate that he did because he gave birth to a he fathered someone by the name of Manasseh. So you can just, and Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem 55 years. Manasseh was a very wicked king. He's the most wicked king that Judah ever had. He began to offer the children in fire, in worship. They would offer their sons and daughters to the pagan gods in the fire. He spread idolatry in the land so badly that it says in 1 Kings... The Lord saw what Manasseh did, and he was unwilling to forgive. Manasseh set in motion something so wicked that Judah would inevitably fall. Josiah would come along and make some temporary reforms, which delayed the judgment. But it's very clear from Scripture, you find it in 1 Kings, that what Manasseh did started something in an inevitable direction. The amazing thing, nevertheless, is Manasseh possibly got saved. You say, what? Could the guy that it caused all of that damage? Read verse 13, chapter 2 Chronicles 33, 13. Uh, when he prayed to him, the Lord was moved by his entreaty and listened to his plea. So he brought him back to Jerusalem and to the kingdom, and Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. I guess it's possible to do 55 years of, of damage and then get saved in the end. And maybe that's what he did. But nevertheless, the result of what Manasseh did, I hope he got saved. I think that's great. But the result of it was... Idolatry was now in Judah. And so then there's another king, Ammon. And then along comes this eight-year-old king, chapter 34, eight years old, named Josiah. In verse 2, it says, uh, chapter 34, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and he walked in the ways of his father David. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the Lord. So he's a 16-year-old. The twelfth year, he began to purge Judah. Uh, from uh, high places. High places were these images they put up on a, on a mountain, these little pagan deities. And they smashed the Asherah poles and you idol, and they burned the bones of the priests. That was a prophecy, um, which I'm not going to get into right now. And notice he was being guided, verse 9, by Hilkiah, the high priest. And he, he ordered that the temple be repaired. And in verse 12, the men did the work faithfully. And over them, they had the Levites playing musical instruments. And so he, Josiah is making reforms. Josiah is making reforms. Now, verse 14, while they were bringing out the money that had been taken into the temple of the Lord, Hilkiah, the priest, found the book of the law of the Lord that had been given through Moses. And Hilkiah said to Shaphan, the secretary, I found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. And he gave it to Shaphan. And Shaphan took the book to the king and reported to him, your officials were doing everything you said, and uh, they found this book, you see. And when the king heard the words, he had it read, and when he heard, verse 19, he heard the words of the law, he tore his robes, and he gave orders to Hilkiah and so forth. Great is the Lord's anger. Go inquire what we should do. And Hilkiah went to the prophetess, verse 22, Huldah, the prophet is Huldah. And verse 27, this is what Huldah said. 
because your heart was responsive and humbled yourself before God when you heard what he spoke against this place and its people, and because you humbled yourself before me and tore your robes and wept in my presence, I've heard you, declares the Lord. Now I will gather to your fathers and you will be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see the disaster I'm going to bring. (coughs) So, he goes on to say, Josiah celebrated the Passover and so forth. He was a good king. But here's the thing. If you do the math, at age 26, Josiah was 26 when they found in the temple, what's this? They took it and read it. It was the law of Moses. They had actually lost the law of Moses. They were not even occupying with the Ten Commandments. They had, Manasseh had caused so much idolatry, they hadn't even had the book of the law. And then they read it, and they went, oh my gosh, we're guilty. And he tears his robes. And he responds to the word of God. And the prophetess Huldah says, King Josiah, because you responded when you heard the word of the law, because you tore your robes and wept, I'm going to delay this judgment beyond your lifetime. And all I get out of that is Josiah was a good king who responded to the word of God. And the question that comes to me is, how do we respond to the word of God? Paul, in writing to the Thessalonians, said, you received it as the word of as what it really is, the word of God and not the word of men. You received it for what it is, the word of God and not the word of men. And when we read the Bible, do we react to it? The Bible speaks about God loving those who tremble at his word. Going, this is the word of the Lord. I became a Christian at age 26, and I read the Bible for the first time in my life. And I remember reading the Sermon on the Mount with my little pocket Bible, and for the first time realizing these are not the words of clever Hebrews, this is the Word of God. And when you take this as it really is, the Word of God, and read it as the Word of God and respond to it, it pleases the Lord. Those who honor, when we honor the Word of God, you are honoring God. Christ himself, because his name is the word of God. So I encourage you to realize that all scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting. Just stay in the word. We as a church need to stay in the word of God and respond to the word of God. The Bible presents one message, and that message is the love of God for us. The message of the Bible is that God loves us. And God had a plan to save us. And he carried that plan out from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, all the way down to King David, all the way down to Jesus Christ. And when Jesus came to the earth, all the predictions of the Old Testament were fulfilled, hundreds of them. And the Messiah came and he fulfilled his earthly mission, which was to die on a Roman cross, and they buried him, and he rose from the dead. So there is much to be learned from the king's church and chronicles. And so when you read 1 Samuel, 1 Kings, or 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles, you are reading the story of the history of Israel, the nation of Israel. It went from the prophet Samuel to kings. And some of those kings were good, and some of those kings were not good. And qualities of the good kings are observable. Like Jehoshaphat, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Praise you. 
Or like Hezekiah, I spread the letter out. Or like Josiah, I read the book of, of God's word and I go, wow, and I respond to it with an open heart. Every morning, the, the word of God should cut to your heart because it is God's living word to us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we have the, the example of the, the kings that really served you. They were still flawed men, but they, they were men that feared you. And I pray that each of us would be like these wise kings. We would, we would walk in holy fear. We would be a people praising you, a people praying to you, and a people reading your word. Father, now as we go to the communion table, I pray you'd meet us with your presence, your anointing, and your, your, your spirit's touch upon our lives. Lord, we hunger for you, the living God. I pray that those that need healing would receive healing this morning. I pray you would stretch forth your arm. Lord, we as a church acknowledge that we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We as a church spread the challenges out before you and just pray to you for, for your spirit's work. And Lord, we as a church want to honor your word. So now, Lord, as we receive communion, we remember your body and your blood that was shed for us. In Jesus' name, amen.